0: The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 15, 22-32. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him. And divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You can be seated. When was the last time you won an argument? What kind of argument was it that you won? Who was it with? Was it with a spouse? Was it with your spouse? Was it with maybe somebody else's spouse? Maybe it was with a child? With a spouse, that's sketchy. We'll get there. Was it with a boss? Was it with a friend? Who did you argue with that you won? Maybe it was a customer service rep, although it's not very likely that you won that argument. Um, the house always wins those, right? Let's say it was with a family member, a parent or child or spouse. How did you win it? Were you just on the right side and they finally came around to see it and they said, yeah, you're right. Uh, Was it your logic? Was it your tone of voice? Was it your physical presence that caused you to win the argument, maybe by getting closer or bigger or further away? Was it your financial leverage? What was it? Why did you win? And since you won that relationship, what's your relationship been like? Has that been better for your relationship? Are you closer now? Do you listen to each other better? Are you farther away because you won that argument? I'm not here today to judge that argument. I don't know the context of it. I don't think I'm probably qualified to judge it even if I did know the context of that argument. The reason I bring it up is not to really ask you about that specific argument, but really I want to get us thinking about how we think about winning and how we think about strength and about what makes us feel secure or insecure. Without a doubt, in my life, most of the arguments that I have, quote, won, I've only had because I was insecure. Probably didn't even need to have most of them except for the arguments that I won against the customer service rep. Those are completely justified. I bring all this up because here in Mark 15, we see a complete inversion of all of our expectations about these kind of things. Mark 15 is completely upside down. We have Jesus Christ, the true King of Israel, continually treated exactly the opposite of how the King ought to be treated. He is mocked. As king, we expect that he should be winning against Pilate and the religious elite. Instead, he's not really even fighting. He should be commanding them. Instead, he's mostly silent. He should be condemning their evil. Instead, he's mocked and crucified. And so, I wonder how you think about the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And for you, the cross is an intriguing story. Maybe you are a Christian, and you view the cross sort of as a far-off, one-time, past event that certainly has relevance for your future, but maybe not something you think about too much for today. Or maybe the cross is the filter that colors your every moment, your every conversation, your every reflection in your whole life. How do you think about the cross of Christ? My goal in prayer is that more and more, for us, it'll be that third option, that the cross will more and more be the filter through which we see everything. And not only that the cross would be more and more the way we see the world, but that it would more and more be the way we are in the world, that we would be cruciform Christians. So today we're in Mark 15 because we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark as a church family this spring. And in this climactic chapter, there are so many things that we could get into. But what we'll focus on is this. The way of the king and the kingdom is the way of the cross. The way of the king and the kingdom is the way of the cross. As we walk through the chapter, first we'll consider the way of the world, and then we'll see the way of the cross. So, first, the way of the world. The world's way is the way of security through strength. Security through strength. We could expand that a little to say that the way of the world is my security through self-protecting, self-advancing, self-defending strength. Now, you know that Jesus taught, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said that in Luke 6, 45. And there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of mouths moving in this chapter, but very little of it is Jesus. Jesus. Most of it is the world talking, and as we look at what they say, we can see the way of the world in the words of the world. So the first 32 verses, all but three words are the words of the world. Let's look at these words of the world together. In the first five verses of this chapter, the powerful religious elite of the day tied up Jesus and delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate is the ruling Roman governor over Judea. And they deliver him over to Pilate in order to be tried. And Pilate asks Jesus about the charge against them. He asks, are you the king of the Jews? Now this is in Rome. And in Rome, Caesar is king. And there's only one king, and that's Caesar. And so for the the chief priests who wanted Jesus killed for many different of their own reasons, their official charge against him was this man saying he's king of the Jews. This man is committing treason against Caesar. Now, Jesus was, of course, the king of the Jews, and he has been identified, seen as the king of the Jews by the disciples, by John the Baptist earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He is the Messiah, the anointed king of Israel. Other gospels tell us a little more of this conversation between Jesus and Pilate, and that's because they have different things that they want us to see. But here in the Gospel of Mark, all that Mark records is Jesus' three-word response. In, in Greek, it's two words. And his response is, you say so. You say so. There's a couple translations that translate that, yes, it is as you say. I think that's a little bit of an Uh, over-translation. The Greek and most translations will just say, you say so. It seems to be a deliberately unclear answer. It's almost like Jesus is putting the question back on Pilate and the chief priests who are there observing. Pilate is asking, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, You say so. What do you believe? What do you think about who I am? And since Jesus didn't clearly say yes to the charge, the chief priests accused him of many things. Verse 3. And here are the words of the world that I want us to think on in this section. In verse 4. Pilate questioned him again Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. I've asked you about the last time you were in an argument. When was the last time you were accused of something? When was the last time you were wrongly accused of something? Maybe it was in that argument we were talking about. Maybe it was something else. How did you handle that when you were wrongly accused? Did your neck start pulsing right here? Did you start feeling defensive? Did you get angry, maybe self righteous? Are you able to stay silent in the face of wrongful accusation? I'm not saying we always must or should stay completely silent when we're accused. Sometimes we may have to gently, patiently explain in order to love. But clearly, Pilate's expectation which I'm saying is representative of the world's way, is that if you are being accused, you must defend yourself. Aren't you going to answer, he says? You do know, Jesus, that you're losing here. You know that the stakes are high, that you're going to die if you don't defend yourself. Aren't you going to say something? He's amazed. The way of the world is defensiveness and self-preservation. But Jesus is silent Isaiah 53, verse 7, was written 700 years prior to Christ's death, and Isaiah foretells this event in this way. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Husbands, wives, can you be silent the next time you feel accused by your spouse I don't mean you should suffer abuse. I mean if there's a misunderstanding, if it's too heated, can you wait and come back later to share your point of view? Can you listen? Parents and children, i ask you the same question. Can you be silent when your parent or your child wrongfully accuses you of something? The way of the world is always to defend, always to respond right away, because I need to protect my security through the strength of my argument, My voice. Can you resist that? Here is the true king of the Jews, the Messiah of Israel, wrongfully accused of many, many things. He knows it will ultimately lead to his death. And there he stood, silent. The next words in which we see the way of the world are found in verses 6 through 15. Pilate knew Jesus had done nothing wrong, and every year at Passover, it was his custom to release one prisoner to the crowd. Whoever the crowd in Jerusalem chose, he would release them. And so looking to release Jesus, Pilate presented Jesus to the crowd alongside Barabbas. And Barabbas is a known murderer. And look with me at verses 9 and 10. Pilate answered the crowd, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. Pilate could tell the chief priests did not have pure motives in trying to get Jesus killed. They're envious. And so Pilate thought he could play the crowd against them. But verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. And when Pilate asked the crowd what they wanted him to do with the king of the Jews, they shouted, crucify him. Why, Pilate asked. What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. I remember growing up as a kid going to Good Friday services at church, and they did, you know, a responsive reading at this point, and the congregation would always be the ones shouting, crucify him. And I always thought, that's weird. Why are we at church? And I'm being told to shout this. I think I understand it's because if I'd have been there, that would have been me shouting. It's a way of showing us really who we are in this story. But these words, crucify him, are the words that show us the way of the world. It is the way of the world to get caught up in the supposed strength of the crowd. It's the way of the world to get caught up in the crowd. The chief priests are envious of Jesus because of his large following, which means that probably many of these people in this crowd had in some way followed Jesus. At least they were intrigued by Jesus. And yet here in the midst of the mob, they're able to be convinced to shout, crucify him. Do you think the powerful today still use crowds to get their way? Of course. It's like what Twitter's for. But There is security or the perception of security in the strength of numbers. And so we go along for, with the crowd. This crowd shouted evil in their profound ignorance stirred up by the influential people of their day. It's shameful and yet it is such a picture of the human heart. We want to be among the crowd. We don't want to stand out. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been to stand in the midst of that crowd and speak against that crowd on that day? Those are the words and the way of the world. Are you willing to stand alone with Jesus when all the world is shouting against him? I can answer that question for you. The answer is no. The disciples weren't there, and we wouldn't be there But thankfully, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus died for people who were not willing to stand for him in the crowd, just like the disciples. But still, it's the way of the world to get caught up in the crowd against Jesus. It's the way of security through strength. They should have been shouting, praise him. Instead, in their pride, they're shouting, crucify him. And a known murderer was released while an innocent man was sent to his death. Pilate sent Jesus off to the soldiers to crucify him. In verses 16 through 20, the soldiers dress him up in a purple robe. They press a crown of thorns into his forehead. They mock him. They saluted him. Hail, King of the Jews. They kept hitting him on the head with a stick. As long as I'm asking these questions about how long, how long has it been since you hit your head against something? It's terrible. Can you imagine being hit in the head repeatedly? with a stick, while wearing a crown of thorns. They were spitting on him. They got down on their knees and pretended to do homage to him like a king. These words, these mocking words, are the way of the world. It is the way of the world to use what power we think we have to mock and oppress and hold people down. It is the way of the world to flex And show our superiority? Is that how you approach that argument that you won? Is that how you are at the office or at restaurants or at school or at home? Do you flex to show your strength? Is that how you are on the internet or how the people you follow on the internet are? How insecure these soldiers must have been. How sick to do all this to a person. It is the way of the world to use power to humiliate others and to make, in order to make ourselves feel a little superior to them. It's the way of the world to put others down to remind us of our own strength so that we can feel strong. But think about this. Think about the coming revelation for them. Now, I hope, I really hope that these soldiers, maybe the next day or maybe later in life, I hope that they realized how foolish they had been I hope that they realized who Jesus was and asked for his forgiveness. And I know that if they did that, that he would forgive them, even of this. Because Luke tells us Jesus prayed on the cross for the people who nailed him there. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I hope in their lifetimes they recognize the foolishness of this moment, but see the embarrassing, shameful ignorance of these men. They had no idea who they mocked. And one day they would know hopefully in their lifetime. But if not, they would die and stand before the resurrected King Jesus and they would know who they spat on. Imagine the shame. On this day, they were flexing, mocking this man who they thought was just some poor fool. The irony is that they were the ones making fools of themselves. But this foolishness is the way of the world. A world hell-bent on flexing is a world hell-bent on folly. And that's the way of the world. Well, the soldiers stripped off the purple robe. They put Jesus' simple clothes back on him. They led him out to crucify him. In another hint at the way of the world, which seeks security through strength, they force a man who just happens to be coming by. They force him to carry Jesus' cross. It's the way of the world to force people onto your agenda. That is seeking security through strength. And they bring Jesus to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And then they unintentionally fulfilled Psalm 69, verse 21. They offered Jesus sour wine to drink, which he refused. Verse 24, they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Above Jesus on the cross as he hung there in between two criminals was the charge, the king of the Jews. And as people were passing by, they yelled at Jesus and they smirked to themselves. And there Jesus is dying in agonizing death and they mock him and they say, save yourself. He saved others, but he can't save himself. And in the next line, in verse 32, they show their hand in a stunning picture of the way of the world. The religious elites chuckle amongst themselves and they say, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. It's as if they're saying, Jesus, if you would use your strength the way we do, we believe in you. If you'd use your power the way we do, To serve yourself, we'd believe in you. If you were like us, Lord, we would believe in you. By the way, are you willing to let the scriptures challenge who you think God is? See, the way of the world is my security, my safety, my advancement through my strength. That's what the words of the world are revealing in this chapter, And before we move on to the way of the king and the kingdom, which is the way of the cross, let's stop and reflect. To what degree is your life patterned on the way of the world, the way of security through strength? Are you just powering through life right now, never taking a break, never taking a day off, just putting more and more effort in? You might be living according to the way of the world out of your own strength for your own security. Are the voices you're listening to on the internet or TV or books, even Christian voices constantly projecting their own strength and or shouting down other people that they disagree with? If so, watch out for the way of the world. In contrast to that, let's look now at the way of the king and the kingdom, which is the way of the cross. If the way of the world is security through strength, the way of the cross is security in weakness, security in weakness. Weakness. You are weak. The cross says you may have real eternal security in your weakness because after the cross comes resurrection. But first, the cross. That's the way Jesus shows us in the chapter. This is the way that he commanded his disciples to take when he said to them back in Mark 8, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now, maybe you hear that command. Maybe you hear that charge of Jesus where he says, let him deny himself. And maybe you start to think, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to give up my life careful. That might be the way of the world coming back in. Remember the Apostle Paul, who no doubt was tough, but he was tough in his weakness. Remember he said he didn't speak very well. Remember he decided to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified so as not to be a impressive. Remember when the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Reflecting on this, Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. The way of the cross is security in weakness. And I'll point out three ways we see that here in Mark 15. First, in the words of worship. We've seen the words of the world and then there's the words of worship. Look at verse 34 with me and then verse 39. Genuine worship of the living God is always an expression of weakness. It's sometimes hard to see that genuine worship of the living God is an expression of weakness because we want to be part of churches that look strong. We want to be in a big church. We want to be in a church that has great air conditioning. We want to be... in a a, a good church family, and so it can seem like winning, but if we're truly worshiping when we come to church, wherever it might meet, whatever the size might be, if we are truly worshiping the God of our Lord Jesus, it is a confession of weakness. We're saying we're here by his grace. We're here because we're dependent on him. As we're saying, we're saying, Lord, I need you, and that's why I'm here. Jesus has gone before us, in the weakness of worship, even on the cross. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There have been a lot of words in this chapter. These are the first words of worship. These are also the first words of Psalm 22. Jesus is quoting the scripture back to the Father, And no doubt, these are words in this moment on the cross that Jesus in his humanity, he deeply, deeply feels them. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you felt the weakness of feeling God forsaken? Maybe it was in a a diagnosis that you got. Maybe it was in a diagnosis a child got. Maybe it was... And the disobedience of a child or something your parents did to you or a promotion you didn't get. Have you ever felt God forsaken? Jesus has. He knows that feeling. And in the black depths of that despair, Jesus worships. And it's not a joyful worship. It's not time for that. It's not a hand clapping worship. It is a weak, agonizing, but trusting worship that it's a worship that names the real suffering despair of the human heart and brings it to the only one who can do anything about it takes it to God Jesus is the only one who's even acknowledged God in this chapter The biblical name for what Jesus is doing here is lament Psalm 22 starts like a lament psalm he is lamenting he's the model lamenter for us Brothers and sisters You don't have to get your soul happy before you talk to God. He's not waiting for you to get it yourself figured out, to get the right frame of mind to go to him. That's the way of the world, the way of security through your strength. The way of the cross is you can go to God as you are. God isn't bothered by your grief or your suffering or the thousandth time of you bringing it to him. So take your needs to God in prayer. That's the way of the king and the way of the kingdom. It's to take your weakness and suffering to God in prayer. It's the way of the kingdom to lament when there's sorrow, when things aren't right. Jesus felt deep abandonment, deeper than you or I will ever feel if we know him. And you can take your suffering to him in faithful, trusting prayer. Look ahead with me at the words, the other words of worship, verse 39. There Mark tells us, When the centurion who was standing opposite Jesus saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. When he saw the way he breathed his last, truly this man was the son of God. What did he see? We don't know what made him say that. But we do know that this has been the point that Mark has been driving at this entire gospel, this identity of Jesus. We know that because maybe you have a really great memory over all these weeks we spent in Mark, or maybe you read Mark last night, you crammed for the final today. In Mark chapter one, Jesus is identified as the Son of God. Not again until Mark chapter eight, the middle of the gospel, is he identified as the Son of God. And then here at the end, he's seen as the Son of God. The beginning, the middle, and the end. Mark's whole point is to get you to see with the centurion, truly this man is the son of God. In all the teaching and miracles of Jesus' ministry as we've been in the gospel of Mark, can you see what the centurion saw? Can you see that he's the son of God? In Jesus' demonstrated authority over sickness, over death, over creation when he calmed the storm, over demons... Can you see in his authority that he is God in the flesh? Have you seen that? And is there someone in your life who needs to see that, that you could maybe walk through the gospel of Mark with, just read it together? Can you see that Jesus is the Son of God and who in your life needs to see that? These words of worship from Jesus and the centurion are the first way we see that the way of the cross is the way of security through weakness, the weakness of dependence on God worship. The second way we see the way of the cross is the way of security and weakness is just in the willingness to be weak. We see that in, in three different spots. We just looked at the centurion's confession. And of course, you realize, don't you, that his confession could have cost him his livelihood. Here's a man whose check is signed by Caesar. And now he's looking at this man who's been charged with treason saying, this man's the son of God. He could lose his job. He could lose his social standing. We don't know what happened to him. But in that confession, he is demonstrating a willingness to become weak. Then in verses 40 and 41, there's the women. These are the only disciples of Jesus that Mark records as even being present at the crucifixion, the women. They're standing far off, watching and grieving. They're not saying anything, they're just there, but they're the only ones there. And in ancient Israel, of course, women were lower in society than men. And so it is only the weakest followers of Jesus who are there at all. And by being there, associating themselves with this criminal, they are willing to become even weaker. And then in verse 42 through 47, Joseph of Arimathea, who's a rich man and a leader in the group of religious leaders that condemned Jesus to death… That's the group called the Sanhedrin. They were there at the front of the chapter, the top of the chapter. These are the people who decided together to hand Jesus over to Pilate. Well, Joseph of Arimathea was a leader in that group and obviously he disagreed. And he was willing to become weak. He went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body so that he could wrap it in linen and lay it in his personal tomb. He too risked his position and power by identifying with Jesus in his death. Are you willing to become weak? Are you willing to become weak? Weaker than you are now. And let's not miss, of course, the one who became most vulnerable in this chapter. Jesus gave his life right there and then. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die. From eternity past, God the Son knew he would take on humanity in order to become frail, weak, vulnerable, mortal, so that he could die on the cross in our place. This is the way of of the cross. It's the way of security in weakness because on the other side is resurrection. And this brings us to the third way in the chapter that we see the way of the cross is the way of security in weakness. There's the words of worship, the willingness to be weak, and third, the will of God. The will of God. Notice that all throughout this chapter... While all this horrible evil is taking place, God is at work. We could say it like this, in between the wicked words of the world, the one who rules all things, works all things together in accordance with his will. In between all the wicked evil of the world, the one who rules all things, works all things according to his will. How many messianic prophecies are fulfilled in this chapter where Jesus is mostly silent? I lost count. We already heard Isaiah 53, 7, where he opened not his mouth. Then there's the fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 22, in that the builders, which are the religious leaders, reject the cornerstone, Jesus the Messiah. There's that fulfillment we saw of Psalm 69, when they offered Jesus sour wine. That is strangely specific, isn't it? There's a psalm that says they're going to offer you sour wine. and They did. There's reasons for that we don't have time to go into, but that's a fulfillment. The crucifixion itself is a stunning fulfillment of Isaiah 52 and 53. But let's focus on Psalm 22, which is the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross. In the wicked words of the world we see the will of God at work in the fulfillment of Psalm 22 in a number of different places. Psalm 22, verse 7 says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. Fulfilled. As Jesus hung on the cross, I hope this doesn't gross you out, but his bones likely would have slipped in and out of joint. He's hanging by the weight of his arms, and so the shoulders aren't meant to do that, and he can't stand because, the I mean, there's nails through his ankles. So he's slipping in and out of joint. Psalm 22, verse 14 says, My bones will be disjointed. Psalm 22 is written, as far as I know, long before crucifixion was invented. Psalm 22, verse 16 A gang of evildoers has closed in on me, they pierced my hands and my feet. And even down to the detail of Psalm 22, verse 18 They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Do you think that the Roman soldiers read that verse and they thought, oh, I know, we'll fulfill this messianic prophecy, let's gamble over his clothes? No. No. In the wicked way of the world, God is fulfilling his will. Here in one of the darkest chapters of the Bible, I suppose it's the darkest chapter of the Bible, in the darkest moment of all human history, see that in the way of the world, the one on the cross has his way. Through the way of the world, the one on the cross has his way. To the eye of the world, it looks like everything Jesus did is coming undone. But in the eyes of God, in the way of the king and the kingdom, it was through the cross that all has been done. That's why there was darkness. It was the judgment of God being poured out on the Savior as he atoned for our sins. The curse of God which we deserved poured out on Christ in our place God's will is being done. That's why the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the curtain inside the temple, a thick curtain that was torn in top to bottom. To show that heaven was tearing it, not earth. And that uh, that veil, that curtain, separated the most holy place from the rest of the world. This is the inner part of the temple where the ark of the covenant was kept. And this was a place that the high priest in Israel, you know, kind of the top religious leader of Israel, could only go once a year and only after so much spiritual purification. And he would go in there to atone for the sins of Israel. And what happened on the cross is that Jesus is our high priest and our sacrifice and the true temple, and he's the curtain. didn't do this first service. This is not in the notes. But he's a curtain. That'd be pretty good if I could cry in command. Curtain He's the way to get to the Father. He's the access. God's will done through the wicked way of the world. The presence of God is now with anyone who is in Jesus. Now with the death of Christ, the Messiah and true high priest of Israel, now, the way to God is open for anyone who will admit their weakness, refuse to seek security through strength, and repent of their pride and trust completely in Him. Does that describe you? Will you admit your weakness, reject your pride, refuse to seek security through strength, trust completely in Him? There's a beautiful hint in this chapter you may have missed about God's will being done through the, the way of the world. Look again at verse 21, where it talks about the man that they forced to carry Jesus' cross. It says he was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Like, OK, why is that there? Well, because Mark wrote this to people who evidently knew Alexander and Rufus. In other words, This man they forced to carry the cross, his whole family came to believe in Jesus. God's will is being done through the wickedness of the world. In our community group this past week, Brenner McLean, shout out to Brenner, made an excellent point that gets at the heart of this. He said in this chapter, we are represented by the religious leaders. We are Pilate, we are Barabbas. We are the mocking soldiers. We are the two criminals. All those people living in in their own strength for their own security represent us in this text. But in another deeper way, it was Jesus who represented us if we trust him. In him, our pride was nailed to the cross. In him, our self-sufficiency was nailed to the cross. Our sin was crucified. He represented us. He was where we should be so that we could be where he now is. So in him who is resurrected, who is at the right hand of the Father, in him we have life, forgiveness, freedom, reconciliation with God, with others, and with ourselves. We have all that security in our weakness, in our vulnerability, in what we actually are. What do you have to do to get qualified? Be who you are and all the frailty that's there. So the question today is pretty obvious, I guess. Which way will you go? Which way will you go? Will you go the self-protecting but self-defeating way of the world, or will you go the self-sacrificing yet saving way of the cross? In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the way up into glory and into eternal security is down through honest confession honest repentance, and self-sacrificial love. Are you willing to go lower? Maybe your next step today is the first step. Maybe today is the day that you need to admit that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you have been intrigued by Jesus. Maybe you've been around the church. Maybe you've been in the church. But today is the day that you need to come clean and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you need to come to the end of yourself. Take that first step of dying to yourself so that you might have life today. Take that plunge, friend. It will cost you everything. But what you'll get in return is beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine. Or maybe the next step for you that you need to take today is to talk to somebody because you have questions. Maybe you're intrigued by Christ, but you're not sure about everything you've heard, about how he, what he teaches and how it fits in maybe with what I've said. If that's you, if you have questions, we would love nothing more than to get to talk with you. We would encourage you to stop by the guest tent on the way out. Let us have your email or some way to be in touch with you. We would love to talk with you. Or come find one of us in the lobby and let's talk. Or maybe you're a Christian in a season of doubt or dryness or discouragement right now. Man, I have been there. And Jesus has been there. Maybe you need to cry out to God honestly today from right where you are. And take your weakness to him. Tell him what's on your heart. Confess. Pour yourself out at his feet. Tell him how you've been defensive. Tell him how you're feeling insecure. Tell him your sorrow. Your high priest has suffered in every way like you. He knows. Maybe you need to take it to him in prayer. And maybe you need to seek out deeper, more honest Christian fellowship here in the body of Redeemer. Or maybe you're a student and you're trying to figure out your faith Maybe you feel like your parents are mad at you a lot and you wonder if God is mad at you too. Your next step might be to give up trying to perform for God out of your own strength. You might need to come and see that that whole idea of trying to get God to stop being mad at you is you depending on your own strength. It's the way of the world. You might just need to receive today again or maybe for the first time that outpouring of love for you that is from God seen on the cross. Maybe you need to let the weight that was laid on Jesus come off of your shoulders today. Maybe you're in a place where your prayer times are great with the Lord. Your time in the word with Jesus is great. You do a lot of reading of the scriptures and of good books and you're at church events, but there's some area of life where you know you're still living your own strength. Maybe it comes out in an area of pride or maybe it comes out in an area of fear or insecurity and you need to take that to the Lord and confess. Take a moment sometime today or this week to sit still before the crucified king and ask, where, Lord, am I still living in the way of the world? Where am I still seeking security through my own strength? Let the Spirit show you so that you can open up and be freed. And then ask for his help to die to yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him into the glorious freedom and joyful suffering of a crucified life. Pastor Dane Ortland in his book, Surprised by Jesus, says, Jesus not only bears the cross in our place, he also blazes a cross-shaped trail that we are to follow. Yes. And the Apostle Paul gives us hope. Christ died for us so that we may live together with him. And if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. So the way up is down, the way to life is through death. The way to true security is to confess your weakness. The way of the King and the kingdom is the way of the cross. Will you let the way of the kingdom, the way of the cross, will you let it shape your next argument or your next social media post or the next thing you read? Will you let it shape this way of security in weakness because of Jesus? Will you let it shape how you live with the rest of the saints in our church? Will you let it shape even the way you are toward your enemies? May Christ be pleased to do it for our joy and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desperately need your help to die to ourselves, to give up, to come to you for strength, to follow the way of the cross, So I pray you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to see the amazing security of the resurrection and of the coming kingdom. And help us live each day in light of that day, each argument, each conversation, each reaction, Lord, in light of the cross and coming glory of the risen King. Help us, Lord. Help us to see it in the, the bread and the cup now. You've given yourself for us, Jesus, in weakness, and we take these elements in remembrance of you, that we, we live only because of your kindness and grace and forgiveness. Remind us of your mercy through these elements. Help us taste and see that you are good. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.